I, I got to welcome everybody to the master's class here at Life Change Church. Life Change Church. And we are in the book of Genesis, chapter 18, verses 1 through 21. We're actually leaving chapter 17 for a lesson. We've been in that chapter for a long time. And uh, we're going to do part two of to pray as an intercessor. And so last week we began a lesson that talked about the laugh of faith and the life of faith. And this week I want to talk about the great biblical truth that we can pray an intercessory prayer for those who face the judgment of God. And, and we're going to use Abraham as a type or a symbol for this great truth. And we're going to talk about our critically important role of praying intercessory prayer for our loved ones and the world that is around us. Now, chapter 18 tells of Abraham's reaction to the Lord's proclamation of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it raises an interesting question of how does a mature, obedient Christian react to the truth that a holocaust of judgment is about to happen to a world of sinful men. Now, do we know of any such upcoming judgment? Yes, we do. We talked about this a little bit last week, right? God has promised a day of tribulation that is coming when judgment will come to this earth in such proportion that if Jesus did not come to stop it, all of mankind would be destroyed. But right now we live in a day of grace. A day in which man can choose to accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And so what are we doing to be concerned about that, about those that we know are going to be lost? Are we concerned enough about those around us that will be left behind to suffer? and likely die in this period of great tribulation? Are we concerned enough to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ? Are we delighted, as Jonah was when God said that he was going to destroy the Ninevites? All those people, they didn't listen to, to me when I witnessed to them. Man, I sure am glad they're going, to get, they're going to have to go through that tribulation period. Are we happy about that? Or are we concerned and moved to compassion like Jesus was of the destruction of Jerusalem. So now with that question in mind, let's see how Abraham reacted when he heard about the Lord's judgment that was about to come on Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, I know that we've read some of this over the last few weeks. We've been kind of hitting this chapter 17 and 18 pretty regularly. But since I can't remember what I taught last week, I don't expect you guys to. And so I'm going to kind of set the stage for everybody listening in, as well as those who are here, for our discussion today. And I want to start off in chapter 18, verses 1 through 3. And it says, And the Lord appeared unto him, meaning Abraham, in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground and said, My Lord... If now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Now, this tells us that it was high noon, 
when the Lord and two angels appeared before Abraham. Now notice that Abraham immediately recognizes the Lord and bows down before him. And Abraham then welcomes them and he prepares a meal for them. And after the meal, uh, the Lord and the two angels, they get up to leave. Now there's a lot going on about Sarah and him. And we've covered all that over the last several weeks, but I'm kind of skipping over that uh, into the topic of today. And we uh, jump down to verse 16 through 21. And the Lord and the two angels are getting up to leave here. It says, And the men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me. And if not, I will know. When we think about intercessory prayer, you know, we have to think about who it is that can pray such prayer. Now, who can be an intercessor between God and man? Now, for them to do that, that guy must really be an important person in the eyes of the Lord. Amen? No? Yeah, well, they got to be some kind of important. I'm going to tell you who they got to be. All right? And so we have to ask the question, who are the most important people on the earth? So who are the most important people on the earth? Are they the politicians, the star athletes, the movie actors, uh, the billionaires of the world and other famous people that we read about in the news every day? Are those the most important people on the earth? Well, I want to tell you that there are some people who are much more important than any of those so-called important people. And many of them are unrecognized unnoticed, unappreciated, and unpraised. They are Christians. Now, they're not just mere Christians. They are Christians who have learned the ministry of intercession. The most important people on earth are those who know how to pray intercessory prayer. Not just any kind of prayer, but intercessory prayer. Now, in Abraham's day, there was the problem of Sodom. There was a problem of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the way the people were living was a stench in the nostrils of Almighty God. And God's holy wrath burned against the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God was ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But there was a man named Abraham who stood in the breach. And he began to pray. And he began to intercede. And if you continue to read on down to chapter 18 of the book of Genesis, you'll see that it says, Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And he held back the hand of God's judgment until Lot and his family were delivered from Sodom. Now I said last week that this illustration of Abraham being an intercessor is important to us because we're living in these days of Sodom all over again. Luke 17, 26 through 30 says, And it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. 
Likewise, also, it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. But in the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now notice the words of Jesus as he tells us, likewise also as it was in the days of Lot. That is, it is now just as bad in Lot's time as it was in Noah's time. And then it says, even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Meaning that it will be the same again when Jesus Christ comes to reign forever. So now God tells Abraham that he is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But Abraham said, oh God, no. Now please, God, give them time. Give them space. And God did. And Abraham was an interceder between Sodom and Gomorrah and God. Now, I asked this question last week, but I'm going to ask it again to, just to set up our discussion about the need of an intercessor. And the question is, is it possible for God to be a mate? Now, I'm going to surprise you by saying that in a manner, yes, I believe that it is possible for God to be a mate. Now, do you know what amazes God? Do you know what sin it is that amazes God? Let me give it to you in Isaiah 59, 16. And he saw that there was no man and wondered, or he was amazed, that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him and his righteousness, it sustained him. So God asked this about Israel during the time of Isaiah. He said, why don't they pray? And God is amazed that they're not praying to him. After all he's done for Israel, he's amazed that they're not, uh, they're not praying. And God wonders that there is no intercessor. Now, do you know what's wrong with us today? We think we can do it without intercession. We have tried to substitute intellect for intercession and organizing for agonizing. But unless we have some intercessors, this generation is gone. Because Jesus says, as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it also be in the day of the Son of Man. Now, Abraham was interested in his loved ones and his family. He was interested in Lot and Lot's wife and Lot's children and Lot's son-in-laws. He was interested in them. And, and so I got to ask you, are you interested in your children? Are you interested in, like I am, your grandchildren? Even your great-grandchildren, right? Do you want us to have a chance to get a golden harvest of souls for Christ before the judgment actually comes. Well, if you are, then we must learn to intercede. And having said that, let me give you five things about intercession. Five things that we'll learn right here in this passage about intercession. Now, don't just let this be academic to you because you have loved ones who will die and go to hell if you don't learn how to intercede. I tell you, we have a city and a nation that is going to hell in a handbasket if we don't learn how to intercede. Everybody has someone that you ought to intercede for. And Samuel said in 1 Samuel 12, 23, Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. Now, the very first thing that I want you to see is that intercession roots 
in an intimate relationship with God. Have you got that? Intercession roots in an intimate relationship with God. Verses 17 through 19, chapter 18 of the book of Genesis says, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Now when God says here in verse 19, I know him, I know Abraham, well that speaks of an intimate relationship. Let me ask you, did you know that Abraham was called the friend of God in the Bible? Now, I found three verses that speak of Abraham as a friend of God. Second Chronicles 27, it says, Art not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gavest it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend forever? And look what it says there. Abraham was God's friend forever. Isaiah 41, 8 says, But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. And James 2.23 says, And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called what? The friend of God. So these verses tell us that Abraham and God were friends. Now that's amazing, isn't it? To be the friend of God. Oh, that I could be called the friend of God. Amen. Oh, my goodness. But the fact that Abraham was a friend of God is the reason that he could pray the prayer of intercession. You cannot be an intercessor unless you have an intimate relationship with God. Now, I want you to do something. I want you to contrast Abraham with Lot. See, both Abraham and Lot have gone to heaven. The Bible says that Abraham was a righteous man, and the Bible says that Lot was a righteous man. But what had Lot done? Abraham's nephew, Lot, had moved into Sodom, and he'd become a politician in Sodom. And he made a lot of money in Sodom. He was sitting in the gate. That means that he was one of the elders of the city of Sodom, and even called the wicked Sodomites brethren, when they were coming and trying to assault the angels. And we'll talk more about that uh, next week's uh, lesson, I think. And he said, I haven't done next week's lesson, so I can't promise that, but I think that's where I'm going to be. All right. But he said, don't do so wickedly, brethren, in chapter 19, uh, verse 7. And so here was Lot, and the Bible says that he was a man of God, but he was a worldly man of God. He had become a friend of the world. And the Bible says in the book of James, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God in James 4.4. 4. Now, so you have these two men. One is Abraham, and he is a friend of God. And the other man in the lot is a friend of the world. Now, if you were God, whose prayers would you answer? Right? The Bible teaches that the man who is a friend of the world is at warfare with God. Now, Abraham was not in Sodom. Abraham was outside of Sodom, praying for Sodom. And Lot was inside of Sodom, and he was powerless to pray because he was a friend of the world. God hears the prayers of his friends. 
And God said, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing that I am about to do? Abraham outside of Sodom knew more about Sodom than Lot who was inside of Sodom. Do you understand that? Abraham outside of Sodom knew more about Sodom and what was going to happen to Sodom than Lot who was inside of Sodom. Lot was a friend of the world and Abraham was a friend of God. Now it is those who have an intimate relationship with God to whom God will speak. And look at that verse and I want you to underline it here. And he says in the word of God, verse 17, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Now listen to me carefully here. God does not have favorites, but God does have intimates. God is not a respecter of persons, but God does have intimates. And you can become a friend and intimate of God if you want to. Listen, not all saved people are the friend of God. Some are the friend of the world, just as Lot was. But Abraham was a friend of God because he was obedient to God, and that is how you can be the friend of God as well. Jesus said in John 15, 14, Ye are my friends, if what? If ye do whatsoever I command you. So then, if you do that, once you're a friend of God, that is when God is going to show you things that he will not show to anyone else. What is God saying? He's saying, as it was, so shall it be. Abraham was an intercessor in that day so long ago, and may God give us intercessors in the day in which we live. So what is an intercessor? What does it mean to intercede? Intercession is not only a prayer, it is a prayer, but it is a special kind of prayer. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2, 1, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Now notice that this tells us that God separates prayer, intercessions, and the giving of thanks. Those are three different things. Intercession is a special kind of prayer. So what is intercessory prayer? Intercessory prayer is prayer that holds back the judgment of God. Intercessory prayer is prayer that stands before God, lifts up his hands and says, oh God, have mercy, hold back judgment, please God. And that is what Abraham was doing. He stood before the Lord and the Bible calls it standing in the gap. Ezekiel 22:30 and it says and I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me and for the land that I should not destroy it but I found none. And this is God saying had there been a man who would have stood in the gap somebody who would have made up the hedge I would not have destroyed the land but I could not find anybody to intercede and I destroyed the land. So intercessors are those who stand in the gap. Now let me give you an illustration of that. You remember reading in the Bible when Moses went up on the mountain and got the Ten Commandments. And when he came down from the mountain, he looked out there and the people had made a golden calf. They were drunk and they were committing fornication and idolatry. And what did Moses do? He breaks the tablets of stone and God's wrath was burning against those people. And God said to Moses, Moses, you get out of my way. I'm going to destroy them. 
But Moses didn't get out of God's way. Psalms 106.23 says, Therefore he said that he would destroy them, had not Moses his chosen stood before him in the breach, to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. See here, Moses was an intercessor here. Let me put it in a New Testament perspective. Jesus went on to say this about his friends who are obedient to his command. Verse 15 of the book of John, chapter 15, says, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Now in order to intercede, you've got to have that inside knowledge about the coming judgment of God, right? If you want to intercede between God and judgment, you've got to know about the judgment that is coming. But notice that Jesus tells us that for all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. In other words, what Jesus hears from the Father, he makes known to his children, to his brothers, and to those he calls his friends. That's inside information. That is how you know it is time to intercede. Psalms 25, 14 says, And the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. And Amos 3, 7 says, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. So you see, a friend of God knows things about God. And what God is going to do that no one else can know. Jesus said, The servant doesn't know what his master does, but I call you a friend. Abraham was a friend of God. And God said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? And the reason that Abraham was willing and able to intercede for Sodom and Gomorrah and his nephew Lot was that he knew what God was up to because God had revealed it to him. He knew that God was getting ready to destroy them. So listen, the most important people on the earth are not in the White House. They're not in the Pentagon. They're not on Wall Street. They're not in Hollywood. They are saints of God who have gotten a message from God and who know how to intercede. They are the most important people on the earth. Intercession, listen to me, intercession roots in an intimate relationship with God. Amen? Amen. All right, now when you are with the Lord like that, then you begin to obey the Lord. Look, if you will, in verse 19 of chapter 18 of the book of Genesis. For I know him that he will command his children, he's talking about Abraham here, and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord, to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Now, Abraham could not call himself a friend of God and not obey God. Now, the reason so many of us don't get our prayers answered, even when we intercede, is found in 1 John 3.32, and it says, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments. Because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. You want your prayers answered? This is how you do it. God said concerning Abraham, I know him. He's going to command his children to keep my word, and he's going to follow my way. Abraham and I are friends. He is a friend of God. He has an inside track. He is a man that God can trust, a man to whom God can say that I will reveal my will to. Now, Next, not only does intercession root in an intimate relationship with God, 
but it rests in the impeccable righteousness of God. It rests in the impeccable righteousness of God. Verse 23, says, And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now, God is saying, Abraham, I'm going to go down there and, uh, and see if what I've heard about Sodom is correct. And if what I hear about Sodom is correct, I'm going to destroy this city. And in Abraham, he begins to reason with the Lord. He has a sanctified argument with the Lord. And he stands before the Lord and he says, God, that's just not like you. You see, intercession rests in the impeccable righteousness of God. And Abraham knew something of the character of God, and so he begins to reason with God. Now, did you know that God wants us to reason with him? Now, to argue with God this way does not mean arrogance. It does not mean impertinence. It just simply means, God, I want to hold you to your character. I want to hold you to your word. Hebrews 13, 5 through 6 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness. And be content with such things as you have, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. I want you to underscore this phrase in those verses. For he has said. And then I want you to underscore the next part that says, So that we may boldly say. And put those two phrases together. He has said, so that we may boldly Say, And this means that when God says something, we can boldly say it. God wants me to boldly say what he has said. God wants me to take his word and stand before him with his word. God wants me to remind him of what he has said in his word. Now, he already knows it. It's not, it's not what uh, I need to tell God. It's what I'm telling myself here, right? I, it, he already knows it. But God wants me to get audacious and bold in front of him. God wants me to take the word of God, stand before the Lord, and say, Lord, this is what you are like. I am standing upon your character and resting, Lord, upon your holy, divine character. Now let me give you a verse that, gives, that really just causes me to tremble, but yet it's right here in the word of God. Isaiah 45, 11 says, Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and his Maker, ask me of things to come concerning my sons, and concerning the work of my hands, command ye me. Ooh, look at that verse. My goodness. Man, is that verse misinterpreted by a hundred thousand people. You know? Alright, now notice that phrase, and concerning the work of my hands, command ye me. God says, listen. You take my word and you command me with it. Now that doesn't mean that we're telling God what to do. It just simply means that we're standing on what God has promised that he would do. Let me say that again, just to be sure it is clear. That doesn't mean that we are telling God what to do. It just simply means that we're standing on what God has promised that he would do in his word. Intercession rests in the impeccable righteousness of God. And then here's the third thing about intercession. Not only does intercession root in an intimate relationship with God, and not only does it rest in the impeccable righteousness of God, but it results in an incessant resolve before God. An incessant resolve. 
Verse 22. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. Now look at the last part of that verse. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. I mean, he's just standing there right there in front of him, right? And it's as if God says, get out of my way, Abraham. I'm going to destroy that city and everything in it. And Abraham says, no, Lord, that's not like you. Lord, you cannot destroy the righteous with the wicked. And it is an incessant result. Now, if you read this passage on through, and Abraham prays six times on the map, right? Verse 23 and 25, it says, And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked. And that the righteous should be as the wicked that be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Now Abraham is saying, you can't do that, Lord. That, that be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked. Well now, what is, who does Abraham think he is telling the Lord he can't do something, right? He is a man standing on the promises of God. Go back to Hebrews 13, 6, where it says, that we may boldly say. Abraham just simply says, God, I'm reminding you, I am resting on your impeccable righteousness, and Lord, this is not like you. But humbly then he backs up, and he goes on to say, Be it far from you, Lord, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. And then what does God say? He says, Yes, if there are fifty righteous, I'll spare the city. And then Abraham gets to thinking, and he says, well, there's probably not 50 righteous uh, in that city. And so in 28, he says, Peradventure, there shall act five of the 50 righteous. Wilt thou uh, destroy all the city for just a lack of five? And he said, If I find there 40 and five, I will not destroy it. I notice that Abraham is working the Lord down. And he says, Well, there may not be 45 there. In verse 29, he says, And he spake unto him yet again, and said, Peradventure there shall be forty found there. And God said, I will not do it for forty's sake. And then look in verse 30. And he said unto him, O let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure there shall thirty be found there. And God said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. God says, okay, Abraham, I'm not going to do it for 30's sake. And then Abraham, he just keeps on going. In verse 31, he says, and he said, behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure there shall be 20 found there. And God said, I will not destroy it for 20's sake. So Abraham asked, well, what about 20? God says, okay, I won't destroy it for 20. And in verse 32, Abraham knows he's really been pushing the Lord quite a lot. And he says, and, and he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet but this once. Peradventure ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And God said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And so Abraham has kept coming back to the Lord. He's been what? He's been incessant about it. Now, how long did all this take? You know, I, I, I don't know. It didn't take me very long to read it, right? But this may have taken hours. 
It may have taken days. It may have taken weeks and months. I, you know, I, I don't know how long this dialogue went on between Abraham and God. Now, maybe, maybe Abraham, when he first started off, thought he had 50 uh, down there in Sodom that he could call righteous. And then he goes down there to check it out, and he finds out there weren't 50. And then he comes back to God again to talk. Yeah, the Bible doesn't tell us how long this took. But what I'm really trying to say here is this about intercession. It has an incessant resolve before God. Now, in the New Testament, our Lord has taught us something that we call importunate prayer or importuning prayer. Look in Luke 11.8. And I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needed. Now, this is the story of a man who needs some bread to feed a guest with. And he goes to his next-door neighbor to borrow this bread, and the next-door neighbor is asleep, and he won't get up and loan him any bread. And the man keeps knocking at the door, and he keeps rattling the, the, the doorknob, and he keeps shouting and saying, i got to have some bread for this friend of mine. Now, the unwilling neighbor is in bed, and he said, Listen, if I get up, I'm going to wake up all the children and everything else. I'm just not going to do it. And yet the neighbor said, look, I got to have some bread. I got a friend that is visiting me and I got to have some bread for him. And finally, the man gets up and this is what Jesus said. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needed. Now what this verse is saying is Jesus is telling us God is like an unwilling friend. No, that's not what it's saying. This verse is not telling us that God is like an unwilling friend. Oh no, he is saying that God is like a father. And Jesus is not comparing God with this unwilling friend, but he's contrasting God with this unwilling friend. But nonetheless, he says that we are to keep coming back and back and back to both God and to our friends, right? What is importunity? It is shameless persistence. Shameless persistence. Abraham just keeps coming back and coming back and coming back. Luke 18, 1 says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to think. So even if you have beaten heaven's door down for over a year on an issue that is on your heart, Jesus is telling us that we need to pray and not stop praying. We cannot quit. We cannot back up. We cannot let up. And Jesus said men ought to always pray and not to faint. And this is importuning. And it takes intercession. It takes perseverance. It takes determination. It takes intensity. Oh, listen to me now. We need to do like Jacob did of old and wrestle with God and say, Oh God, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. But now listen very carefully to me here. This does not mean that you keep coming back to God once He has given you an answer. Once He has given you an answer. If God's answer is no, then it's over with. Just like when God spoke to Abraham about Ishmael. Remember reading in chapter 17, verses 21 and 22. It said, But my covenant while I established with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. And he left off talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. And what does that say? In other words, God says, Abraham, I've made my decision. 
and it is settled. It's not Ishmael, it's going to be Jacob. Stop praying about that. And we're done talking about it. Now, when God says we're done talking about it, then you need to stop praying for it, but not until. That leads us to the fourth item about intercession. Intercession does result in an incessant resolve before God. But listen, intercession reveals an intense reverence for God as well. Now, some of you have the idea that you can argue with God, that you can plead with God. You can stand before God and say, God, I'm not going to let you do this. I'm just going to not let you do it, God. Oh, be careful now. God may just remove you from the path, right? You start telling God what to do, and God may just remove you. Now, I'm not talking about arrogance here. I said that Abraham was a friend of God, but intimacy is not irreverence. Communion is not familiarity. Abraham was awestruck with the presence of God. Verse 27, Abraham answered and said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Now, notice that Abraham said, How can dust and ashes talk to Almighty God? In verse 30, he said unto him, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure there shall thirty be found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. So do you see this reverence for God that Abraham has? Verse 32, and he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet but this once. You see, here is an intense reverence for God. Don't you ever speak of God as the man upstairs. I hate that phrase, the man upstairs. Don't you ever speak of God in flippant terms. Don't ever think that because God has said concerning the work of my hands, command you me in Isaiah 45, 11, or that since God says, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord in Genesis 1, 18, that you are on a level with God. No, you are a worm, and he is almighty God. And yet he has said that we may boldly say, an intercessor is on his face before God. Abraham says, I am but dust, I am but ashes, but yet I come. Now let me give you a verse that blesses my heart. Isaiah 66, 2. It says, For all those things that hath mine hand made, and those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. So do you tremble at the word of God? Oh, that we stand at the word of God, for we are certainly standing on it. And we ought to tremble at the word of God. Okay, so far I've said this about intercession, that it roots in an intimate relationship with God. I've said that it rests in the impeccable righteousness of God. I've said that it results in an incessant resolve before God. And I have said that it reveals an intense reverence for God, but I also wanted uh, to say that intercession receives an inevitable reward from God. It receives an inevitable reward from God. Verses 24 and 25 of chapter 19 of the book of Genesis says, Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the city and that which grew upon the ground. But the Bible also says that he remembered Lot because of Abraham. 
and he took Lot out of the city, and he delivered Lot because of the prayer of Abraham, and that prayer alone. Had it not been for the prayer of Abraham, if it had not been for his intercession, Lot would not have been delivered. Now, God's judgment, it fell upon Sodom. And God left Sodom with its smoking ruins as an example for this generation. But because there was a man named Abraham who stood in the gap, because there was a man, Abraham, who prayed and would not let up, Lot was delivered. And I think about those that I am praying for. Do you think about those that you pray for? And I'm wondering, can I stand in the gap for those that I'm praying for? Do I have what it takes? Will I listen to God and stand before God? You know, I heard a story about a college president. And this college president learned that he had about a half hour to live. And he said, you're going to die in about a half an hour. He says, well, if that is true, then take me out of my bed and put me on my knees and let me spend my last half hour calling on God for the salvation of the world. And this college president died on his knees. Now listen to me about your prayers. You're not wasting your time. The most valuable time that you will spend is time that you spend on your knees for souls. When you intercede, when you intercede for those who are lost, you are never more like Jesus who ever lives to make intercession for us. In Hebrews 7.25 it says that Jesus made intercession. And the Bible says in Isaiah 53.12 that it was for the transgressors. So when Jesus died, he prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We can pray a prayer of intercession for those who love us, but we have to be the friends of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.